Here's why. Like, you know, we've like seen good quarterbacks really anyhow that if they work out the two world-class players. The Lions just turned everything around. I mean, even the other week. Here's my problem. I don't think they're going to Roll Tide! Welcome to the new edition of the EO Smith Sports Talk Podcast. Welcome back to the EO Smith Sports Talk Podcast NFL segment. I'm joined by Leon Parker and Alex. We're going to run through another week of upsets in the NFL. Headlined by the Packers, Titans, and Bills all falling. Meanwhile, the Patriots are surging. So I want to talk about the AFC East. New England is back in sole possession after a one-year rebuild, showing Bill Belichick's greatness as Patriots GM. Boys, do we think the Patriots win this division at the end of the year? It's going to be tight. Uh, the Patriots are kind of working from behind at this point. I know the Bills just got blown out, but they do have, I think they do have the lead in that division. It's going to be tight. Uh, but I think the Patriots run up uh, coming out on top in this division. They're moving in the right direction. The Bills, not so much. Um, Mac Jones is playing really well, uh, at least this early into his career. He's been really impressive. Easily, I think, the, the favorite for rookie of the year. Uh, they got a ton of talent. They got a ton of offensive weapons that, that, Mac can use arguably more so than the Bills do. I think this roster overall is better. It's just kind of like, can Mac Jones take them over that finish line? I think it kind of just rests on his shoulders that they're able to pull it out. And if he continues playing like the way he is, it's definitely possible and probably likely. I mean, it has to feel so good to be a Patriots fan. We Last year, we wanted to just, you know, give the Bills one year of hope, give the Bills one little year to feel like they did something, let them win the AFC East. But the dynasty's back. The Kings are back. Mac Jones is going to continue to grow throughout the years. He's going to win the division his rookie year and then just continue to be go back to where the Patriots are just, just locks to win the AFC East in the preseason at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I agree. I think this this Patriots dynasty has been revamped because of Mac Jones. Obviously right now we're going to see four years of Mac Jones on a rookie scale contract. And we're going to see the Patriots with a chance to be, to build teams with as much money as they've ever had. Now I know they had Tom Brady for cheap, um, but they haven't had Tom Brady on a rookie contract like they have Mac. So for Mac to be getting going this early for the Patriots to be Super Bowl contenders with Mac as a rookie, this is a scary sight for the AFC as a whole and a scary sight for the rest of the NFL. Uh, I want to talk about the Browns, Baker Mayfield, big discussion topic on this podcast. Parker and Leon want to bench him earlier in the year. I wasn't too quick to say that, but now the, the Browns get a win this week over the Lions. They sneak past them with a three-point victory. Now I'm starting to wonder, the 6-5 and five Browns in a pretty good AFC North this year, in an AFC North, or an AFC overall that is up for grabs, should the Browns make a move at quarterback? Because we know Case Keenum is one of the better backups in the NFL. I I think you have to make a move at quarterback, not with starting Case Keenum. I think like that only makes it go worse for the Browns. But, I mean, Baker's had his chances. We've looked at Sam Darnold, who's honestly being run out of the league by now, and other quarterbacks who have been run out of the league. Josh Rosen and all these guys in way less years than Baker. And, yeah, Baker has had a little more success than these guys, but he's never – had that utmost success that keeps guys in the league. So I don't understand what's keeping Baker in the league so long. Maybe it was what he was able to do in college, but I think that we've seen what we need to see. It's time to move on if you're the Browns. Yeah, if you're the Browns, you want to win Super Bowls, and Baker Mayfield is just not a Super Bowl winning QB. 
He throws picks. He has bad decision-making. If I were the Browns, I'll look towards to move on from Baker this offseason. I, I don't believe they're going to make a change in the middle of the season. But if I was a Browns G head office, I would, Baker has to go. You, you should not be extending Baker Mayfield. I'm shocked Leon actually had a good take, but there it is. They shouldn't move on from Baker Mayfield midseason because where do you go, right? You're still 6-5. and five, You're 500. You could, I don't know, maybe you get a little bit lucky. Maybe that defense kind of steps up as the season goes on and, and you know, you can make some kind of playoff push even with a bad Baker. But I do agree it's time to move on from him. Uh, I don't think he's played up to the – the level that a number one overall pick should play up to. And um, it's going to be a tough you know, class to draft a quarterback in, but I think that they should look in that direction. I think for the Browns, what you have to consider, though, is Baker's dealing with all these injuries headlined by that shoulder injury. You know, they're saying he's going to need surgery in the offseason and all of this. Right now, if I'm the Browns, I'm looking you know, short-term IR now, three weeks. Can we, can we put Baker on IR for three weeks, see what Case Keenum can do? Because – Right now, this team with Baker Mayfield playing, maybe it's because he's injured. They can't compete for a Super Bowl, and they might even miss the playoffs. So I don't think there's too much to lose. In worst-case scenario, you have a better draft pick to pursue a quarterback in the draft, or you know, you learn about what Case Keenum can be for you this year. Maybe, maybe they get better with Case Keenum, but I, I don't think Baker Mayfield's the guy anymore. And you bring up a good point. They picked up the fifth-year option. They're kind of stuck with him this season, and then maybe even next season. So... I hope they don't expect, extend him. I don't think they will. But my question is, do they move on from him in the offseason? Because that might be tough. I think you yeah. have to. Go ahead, Parker. I, I, was, I, I just think you have to. I mean, how long – I said, how long can you give a quarterback to show some success? I mean, we've looked at these Browns roster, this Browns roster the past few years. I mean, they've been one of the best rosters every single year coming in. We've seen – Stars on the defensive side, stars for weapons for Baker, running back, Nick Chubb, Odell, Jarvis. We've seen all these guys. We've looked at the Browns roster and that they should be a Super Bowl contender, if not an easy playoff lock. And Baker has shown throughout that he's the reason, he's one of the main reasons that this team struggles again and again throughout the season. I think you have to look at your weakest link, which in my opinion is the quarterback, and move on from Baker in the near future. And obviously Baker's going to go throughout the league, team to team, maybe find a spot that he will have more success. But I think if the Browns, like, you have to do something. So if we're talking about the Browns moving on at the quarterback position, they're going to have to look to the draft. And this is where I kind of want to reflect on this past year's rookie class because there was five first-round quarterbacks. And we always talk about, oh, this seems like, you know, five can't-mess prospects. Turns out Mac Jones was the fifth one taken. So far he's been – you know, clear in a way, the best, obviously the most potential isn't his. So to say, if we had a, a redraft tomorrow, is Mac Jones the first quarterback taken or is it still Trevor Lawrence? I mean, Zach, Zach Wilson has looked terrible. You have to imagine he might be the fifth quarterback taken in a redraft. Um, and Justin Fields, I think Justin Fields has looked like the second best rookie quarterback so far. So I'm curious in a redraft, where do those five quarterbacks rank? Yeah, there's no chance that Trevor Lawrence is still the number one overall pick. I mean, he's been... It's a bad Jacksonville team, but it's also been a really bad Trevor Lawrence for him. Like, he has not helped a bad team be at least a little bit better. I think you have to take Mac Jones. Um, obviously, you know, working with Urban Meyer, who's what does he have one NFL win, two NFL wins as a head coach is not ideal. So obviously, you, you lose that kind of Bill Belichick development. 
but he's definitely, you know, been the most impressive of all the rookies. So I think he goes probably first. And then, like you said, Justin Fields is probably the second overall taken. Wilson's probably last. Uh, and then you can kind of order out the other two how you want to. I think, whatever, I think whatever QB that ended in New England, that situation was perfect. And I believe uh, if it was uh, um, Justin Fields or Trey Lance, I believe he would have had the same production as Mac Jones. But I believe – I feel like out of all of uh, top four quarterbacks, the, the worst quarterback the worst quarterback is in the worst position, and that's Zach Wilson. And I believe that's why that's why he's, he's in that situation right now. I have to agree with you and disagree with you slightly, and I believe that – the Patriots system is what is half of what's making Mac Jones so great throughout his rookie year. But I don't believe if you threw a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance in that system, the Patriots system we've seen throughout years is specific to a specific type of quarterback, which Mac Jones fills completely. So I believe that if Mac Jones weren't to be thrown on the Patriots, he would not nearly have the success that he has, but I believe whichever quarterback that the Jacksonville Jaguars did take first, honestly, their career would be ruined. Probably same with the second pick with the Jets. Yeah, Leon brings up an interesting point because if you – let's say you swap Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones. Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones were the two quarterbacks coming in that you say were most pro-ready. Trevor Lawrence has looked terrible this year, and Mac Jones has looked phenomenal. But in my opinion, if you switch – you know, which teams drafted them, if you put Trevor Lawrence on the Patriots, I think he's a a far and away – uh, rookie of the year. He's, you know, has the Patriots in first place in the AFC, just like Mac Jones. So Mac Jones has been phenomenal this year, but in a redraft, I think Trevor Lawrence is a pro ready and B has a uh, higher upside than Mac Jones. So I think he would be the first pick still. Then, you know, it's between Mac Jones and Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields has looked very, very good in Chicago. In this situation, we talk about Zach Wilson's in a bad spot with the Jets and he's looked terrible, but Justin Fields is in a terrible spot with the Bears, and he's looked pretty good. So, obviously, right now, I think Justin Fields is way ahead of Zach Wilson. And if I'm the Jets, I'm thinking, oh, no, did we mess up a lottery pick quarterback yet again? Yeah, I I think you're right there. But at least with that last part, uh, where I disagree with you is with Trevor Lawrence. I never really had – I feel like this is something I've said before. I definitely said it before. I've never been really high on Trevor Lawrence. I think uh, as somebody who's kind of – you know, college football focused. I watched him um, as a freshman, sophomore, junior. He went out and won the national championship as a freshman. And, and because he was playing for a, a team in Clemson that, was, that had just recently ascended to the top of college football, he won a national championship as a freshman. Everybody looked at this kid and said, wow, he's got great arm talent. He's big. He's got that kind of pro-style arm and, and build that you're looking for. He's definitely going to be the number one overall pick whenever he decides to go for the draft. And, and it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy, I think, more than anything. I think he never really, he never really took a huge step up in, in the way that you would expect a quarterback to in his following two years at Clemson. He was kind of, obviously he got better, but he was kind of still the same guy that he was his freshman year. And, and at least to me, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Everybody looked at him. They anointed him in that way. That was the narrative surrounding Trevor Lawrence. He's the number one overall pick. Look at this great arm. Look at this great build. And, and maybe he wasn't supposed to be there. So although I think he would still have success with New England, like you were saying, B, I don't think he would be as good as Mac Jones because I think Mac Jones is, one, more suited to that system, and two, might have been the better quarterback coming into the class. I want to ask you this card. How good are the Jaguars with Mac Jones instead of Trevor Lynch as their quarterback? I'd, they're definitely not good. They're probably the same record 
Uh, I just that's a terrible team, but I think Mac Jones plays better than Lawrence does. I do have to agree that Mac Jones seems like the better fit in the Patriots offense. You know, obviously Trevor Lawrence is a more mobile quarterback, less accuracy. I mean, Mac Jones just setting records with his accuracy. It's incredible. Guys throwing over 80 percent completion percentage in these games. I think the Patriots have found their uh, next quarterback. And I also think the Eagles have found their next quarterback in Jalen Hurts. Five and six Eagles. Pretty easy schedule coming up in a weak AFC uh, or NFC uh, East. Do we think the Eagles can make the playoffs this season? Yeah, totally. The Eagles, um, I, I forget how many weeks in a row it is, but they've been putting up a ton of points recently. Like, I, I, I kind of look at Devontae Smith on my fantasy roster, and I'm like, holy crap, the Eagles put up like 30 points again for like three weeks or four weeks in a row. And it's crazy. They're scoring points. Jalen Hurts is playing really well. Devontae Smith has been, a, it, it turns out, a great pick at receiver. He's played, he's probably the second best receiver uh, in this wide receiver draft class. I think they definitely can. I think they're going to win. They'll, they'll only lose maybe one or zero of this easy schedule that you mentioned that's coming up for them. So this is a kind of a chance for them to, to get their record in a really good spot as their schedule probably gets difficult closer towards the playoffs. They can definitely make the playoffs. I mean, Card, you say that the Eagles have been putting up points yet, but their last matchups have been the Lions, Chargers, Broncos, and Saints, whose defense, all four of their defenses are under par, I believe. So Yeah, totally. I, I don't think the Eagles are a playoff team just because I feel like they just, they're not consistent enough. If you watch their offense, they don't every week in and week out, they don't have that production that most of these playoffs teams have. I don't know if it's not Justin Fields. It's more of their, they don't really have much of a run game. I, I don't know. I don't believe two teams from the NFC East can make it just yet, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Eagles getting in this year. I think Jalen Hurts, that offense is is starting to click. Now, you talk about their past four matchups. Obviously, you know, a defense like the Lions is easy to put up points against. But the Broncos, a lot of people were, after the first few weeks, saying the Broncos had one of the better Ds in the league. Um, and then one of the other defenses that you that you said is also not bad. So th- this, this offense putting up that many points against bad defenses. Yeah, you could say that, but I think this is a pretty strong offense and this defense getting all these young players extended. I think this Eagles team is scary and I think they're going to make the playoffs. I would like to go on record and change my mind after just looking up the Eagles future schedule. They will easily make the playoffs because I don't <laughs> think they'll lose again. Have, <laughs> I mean, maybe against the Cowboys in the last week, they'll take a loss, but geez, their schedule going forward is super easy. I mean, talk about a gift to the playoffs. If the Eagles don't get in, that would be pretty disappointing. All right, so, so I think we, we've got the Eagles getting in. Let's go to the Panthers. Panthers, another team, they lose this week. They needed this one this week, in my opinion. Now they're five and six after falling to the football team. But Cam Newton and that offense looks a lot better than Sam Darnold in that offense. So I ask you, this, this Panthers team that traded for Stephon Gilmore and traded for C.J. Henderson, signed Cam Newton, seems like they're kind of going in this year. Do we think this team can rally behind Cam to make it to the playoffs this season? No, they, they might, they might fool you at the start and, and play well for like maybe two to three weeks. Uh, But I think that's just kind of a honeymoon period with having a new uh, starting quarterback and a a kind of a new influx of energy. I think after that, they, they kind of drop off. Um, Maybe they don't win the next, you know, two or three games, but they perform pretty well. And then after that, they just kind of drop off. 
they don't have the talent. They don't, uh, uh, at least on offense, I don't think. And I don't think Cam Newton is is the quarterback. I'll say this. I don't think Cam Newton is as big of a difference from Sam Darnold, right? I, I just don't think those two quarterbacks are the answer. They have talent on offense, right? They have a guy like DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey, obviously, when he's healthy, is, is one of the best running backs in the league. But Sam Darnold or Cam Newton, either one, pick your choice. I don't really think it makes much difference. Maybe they're a little bit better than Cam Newton, but it's not enough to make them a playoff team or anything. No team going into the season starting Sam Darnold deserves to make the playoffs. And I believe that he should not be – he shouldn't be a quarterback in this league anymore. Sam Darnold is awful. Cam Newton, like you said, Card, he's not the answer. But he's a thousand times a step up from Sam Darnold. I mean – you see this guy throw away those. I don't think Cam's going to take him to the playoffs, but I think Cam is a step going forward that the Panthers need. They need to continue to build this team, ride Cam out for two to three more years. Maybe not two to three. Whoa, 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 whoa. Two to three years. Ride Cam out while you build this team. I, I don't think that the Panthers should go for a quarterback in the offseason next year. I, uh, they have to. They, they have, yeah. no, have nothing at quarterback. We're, to, say, we're saying okay. all these teams are going for quarterbacks, but there are no quarterbacks to go after in this next draft class. But if I'm no, the Panthers, that's why I'm, I'm looking for a, a draft, but you have to see if you can find something. How maybe, about it's, maybe it's a diamond in a rough. Maybe it's a guy that, that isn't very highly thought of um, as, as a pro-style quarterback that, you know, it's a college quarterback right now. Whoever it is, you have to see if you can find something. Yeah, I, I think Baker Mayfield could be that guy. I mean, Aaron Rodgers could be on the move. Russell Wilson could be on the move. Derek Carr could be on the move. So, yeah, the draft class maybe isn't too top-heavy. But, again, I still think there's four to five first-round quarterbacks this year based on how the, the, the quarterback landscape in the NFL sits. Plus, veteran quarterbacks could be on the move this offseason. Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, there's options. Oh, for what a difference. Jimmy Garoppolo, wow, he's great. A thousand times better than Sam Darnold or Cam yeah, Newton. when he's healthy, he's better than Cam Newton and he's Sam Darnold. He's team to the Super Bowl with right. a running game, which you have Christian McCaffrey. Jimmy Garoppolo wins games when he's on the field. I, I know that there's an asterisk next to that, but Jimmy Garoppolo can win games when he's on the field. And I don't think I don't think Cam Newton's that guy, but he has looked a lot better on this Panthers offense than in the New England offense. He does look like he has some fresh legs. I'm not sure if it's the rest he got or what, but this Panthers offense looks a lot better with Cam Newton, uh, you know, under center. Do you believe that the Panthers are a Super Bowl contender away? Uh, uh, a quarterback away from being Super Bowl contenders? No, I say yeah, no. They're not that good. They're good, offense. but they're not that good. Their defense, their defense is one of the better units in the league. Their weapons are good. They have arguably the league's best running back. Like I think they're an offensive line and a quarterback away. But you know, to say they're a quarterback away again, you bring in Aaron Rodgers and his salary, or you bring in Russell Wilson and his salary, then you lose. You know, you lose a receiver, or you lose someone on your defense. So it's hard to say they're just a quarterback away. But this is a strong roster that doesn't have their long-term solution at quarterback. So I'll definitely be watching that one. I want to use this as a transition to talk about a team that has made me angry for the past two years. And I've talked about it so much of the past years. I talked about it last year with Phillip Rivers and this year is Carson Wentz. The Indianapolis Colts are not even a great, a decent quarterback away from being a yeah. Super Bowl dynasty. And yeah. I hope that they get that decent quarterback soon. I mean, just seeing what they're able to do with Carson Wentz, watching this week, them absolutely Jonathan Taylor alone absolutely smack on the Bills. I mean, if you got one of those quarterbacks on the Colts, how many games would they lose? How many 17-0 seasons would they have? 
especially with yeah, how you see your team. They, they would like, if you if you just like transported Aaron if you duplicated Aaron Rodgers and and put him on the Colts. I think this team is like uh, how many games? How many weeks into the season are we? Like ten, something like that. Yeah, they, they'd be like they'd be like eleven and one, ten and one. Like they they. They are so talented, and so many guys on offense have stepped up. This is a team that last season we said, look, some of the guys on at, at receiver, at least I said that, some of the guys at receiver need to step up. Michael Pittman Jr. needs to get better, and they have. Like he, he has been – I think he's like the number one receiver on third down this season. Jonathan Taylor is a top five back in the league, especially after putting up five touchdowns. Uh, I'm sure fantasy managers are loving that everywhere. He's been incredible this season. They have a great offensive line. They have talent on defense. Somehow they always manage to replace corners, and those corners are, are really good. So this Colts team is, like Parker said, like they just – Carson Wentz is bad. Like they just need to go from bad to like average, and they would be so good. They would be they would be like a – probably a divisional round uh, – what are they, AFC? AFC championship type team. Maybe they're not a Super Bowl team, but the rest of the team could kind of carry that average quarterback to that spot. Carson Wentz, it's just unfortunate that he's not what he used to be because if he was, right, if he was a good quarterback like he used to be, this Colts team would be so dangerous. And their team is so young, too. Like, I don't see why you can't build a quarterback over the next two to three years. I mean, you talk about Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman. These guys are rookie sophomore year guys. Their defense with Darius I mean, these guys aren't – their whole team is relatively young, so I believe – Go get a quarterback that's not amazing. Don't go all in for an Aaron Rodgers or a Deshaun Watson. Get a decent guy that you can build, that you can have learn, and then have him grow with the team and take that team to a dynasty. I'm not so quick to jump off the Carson Wentz train yet because, yeah, of course, Jonathan uh, Jonathan Taylor had five touchdowns today. He's been the best running back so far this season besides Derrick Henry. And the offensive line is great. The defense is pretty good. But – like, if you're looking at the receivers, Michael Pittman's stepped up, but they're not exactly like a Super Bowl roster lacking the quarterback, in my opinion. Could they be a Super Bowl contender with a better quarterback? Yes, but Carson Wentz hasn't been terrible this year. He's been inconsistent, and that's kind of a theme throughout his career. But I think you could win with Carson Wentz. I think if they had, let's say, Devontae Adams, I think they could be a contender with Carson Wentz. So before we say let's just go find another quarterback, you know, when it's obviously hard to find a quarterback, especially a cheap quarterback, I'm not so quick to jump off of the Carson Wentz bandwagon. No, you. I mean, maybe not jump off of Carson Wentz, but you need to get a guy and start developing him because if you've watched the Colts play, if you've watched Carson Wentz play, I mean, some of the decisions he makes, some of the interceptions he throws are just so bad and it's detrimental to a team when he does. Dude, is this guy, is this guy maybe in-house? Sam Ellinger is, is a rookie this year. He's been hurt for quite a bit, but I Art, think he was like a six-round guy. Oh, I know you're a no, big Texas football fan. Let's stop talking right now. Shut up. Parker said, Parker said, you need to start. You need to find a guy and start developing him. This has nothing to do with me being a Texas fan. This guy played really well in the preseason. He got hurt. They got rid of Jacob Easton. So clearly they have some faith in Sam Ellinger because he's their number two guy right now. Do you maybe look at him and say, Let's start experimenting with his development. Let's see if maybe he's an answer. I'm not saying you just you just start Sam right now, but like, do you look at Sam and say like maybe we should focus on his development a little more? I mean, it's hard to say. Obviously, we've never seen him. Like, obviously, he hasn't played yet, um, and of course, he wasn't 
drafted high. He wasn't highly touted coming out. So this isn't a guy that I'm just going to say, oh, look at the backup. You know, they've got a, a big name, Sam Ellinger. But if they're seeing something in practice or if they're seeing a lot of improvement, maybe. But I'm not going to jump to that conclusion because he's a Texas Longhorn. To be able to trust a guy. I, I never said that I jumped to that conclusion because he was from Texas. What I'm saying is this guy played good in the preseason, right? Right. They got rid of Jacob Beeson, who was their original backup quarterback. So clearly they have some faith in Sam. Instead of just running through practices normally, do you say, okay, maybe Carson isn't our guy, but we have a young guy in here who played good for us in the preseason. We like him. Do we focus more on trying to develop him as a quarterback and see where that takes us before we look to maybe the draft or free agency, free agency for a, an expensive uh, high, draft, high draft pick or an expensive guy? Like Brendan said, if you're going to do that, you have to see something in Sam Ellinger. You have to know that when he does go out on that field, he's going to be that guy because if he isn't, the amount of backlash you're going to get for that, as opposed to if you get a second or third round quarterback in next year's or two-year future draft and you kind of develop him to be more of a guy and he's not that guy, you can just say, well, all right, he's a bust. But if you kind of throw the six-round pick in and he doesn't work out, it's like, shit, he was a six-round pick. We're recording after the first slate of games before the second one. So the Chiefs and the Cowboys are just starting up. Who do we have in this one? Chiefs. They got a hard start right now. Nine points already. Dak Prescott's already fumbled. They can't do anything on offense. Kansas City's already rolled down the field and scored a touchdown. Chiefs. Bro, you're supposed to fake it, dummy. Restart that. I'll let you know after. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode. A lot of talk about, a lot of quarterbacks, a lot of upsets this year, but we'll keep following. We'll be back. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the soccer segment of the Smith Sports Talk podcast. I'm here with Thad and Austin, the soccer guys, and uh, let's just dive right in. Let's start with Chavi. Wins his first game. Obviously, uh, I'm kind of of the position you can't really glean anything. I think I mentioned this last time. We don't really know until if Chavi's a good manager until like three or four years down the line. But you guys were arguing about this, so we have to talk about it. It's a 1-0 victory. They played good. Their only goal was off of a penalty. Is this a successful start or uh, kind of a slow start for Chavi? Yes, absolutely. It's a successful start. I mean, first of all, I, I think we can all agree that this isn't exactly the result everyone was like hoping for. Um, I'm not going to say it was, but you talk to the players, there's interviews, like you talk, you listen to the fans. Everyone is happy with that game. They played fantastic. They looked great. He played two 17 year olds up top and they still, they were still creating chances. Their average like age besides if you take out Busquets and PK was like 21. It was ridiculous. And they, they played fantastic football. Like, throughout the whole game, it, no, one, no one turned off. It was, just, it was just great, great play. And the players are in good spirits. The, the fans are in good spirits. Like, this is absolutely a step in the right direction. I think very simply, it looked like a honeymoon period. It looked like the first game you yeah. know, under Ollie at United. It was that kind of thing. I mean, they played well. Don't get me wrong. They played very well. But, I'm with you, Austin. I, I don't think I don't think you can judge anything off of a one 0 penalty win. I mean, it was it a, was it a big game? I guess so. I mean, it's the Catalan Derby, so it's big, but it's Espanol. They're not really a, they're not a big team. They're not a major team to go up against when you're Barcelona. 
I mean, like regionally, yes, it's a big deal. But I, I think until we can start seeing them, you know, play the the Villarreal's, the Sevillas, the Real Madrid's, whatever, then we can start talking about success. Again, was it a good game? Yeah, but it, it wasn't anything, you know, spectacular for me, at least. I think like, I know. Fabian's I don't. I don't think fire. anyone's claiming this is spectacular. I think you are. Xavi's you literally doing. talked about how great of a success <laughs> yes, it was. Said, that, but no, no. But was, I'm not I, claiming. I think, I'm not claiming the game is spectacular. I'm claiming what he is putting that what he's doing to this team is. You you have to remember he's putting Barca into the Barcelona way. This isn't something m- minor. This isn't going to take five six games. We know you cannot compare Xavi to Ole because Ole is. Brainless Xavi is arguably <laughs> oh the smartest God. man in oh football history, and he is putting Barcelona in the direction that they need to go by by getting it into their heads that they need to play this ticky tack of football, and it's working. They played that in one it, game. It, we saw okay, better. We saw them play better you, than you they did stop under right any there. game in moment. That you you have gone way too far with this, my friend. I, I think we need to acknowledge that for at Alex. Least, did you even watch at the least, game? At least. For however long we watch, no, I didn't watch the game. I, I'll readily admit that. But here's but, the thing: I did. I, I, hold on a sec, Hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. We need to acknowledge that for how, however long we talk about Chavi, until if if he ends up just failing miserably at some point in his career, to Thad, Chavi will always be the second coming of Jesus. Like, yes. <laughs> one game in, Thad is like. That is is just ready no, to, I was, to give I him was Christ like that, that is ready to give. for the first game. I that, that is ready. In, hold on a second. Hold I will put my life. That on is the ready line to give Chavi after one performance, like a ten-year, hundred million-dollar extension. Like we need to put the paper out. Put it on the table. Let him sign I the contract. I, um, I definitely, definitely would. I have no, no. <laughs> You're an idiot for that. That's really dumb. That's never a good way to look at managers. That's. I think. I he played. Guys... He played one game. Like uh, it was an issue with that. Alex, I mean, Alex, they both laughed. of you, both of you. I was saying this before the game, which you is stupid. That, which right? doesn't make no. sense because you can't it's judge. A, you can't judge a coach before he's even stepped on the field. I right? absolutely think you can. When you, you see, cannot. there there are certain aspects of the game that transfer between being a player and being being a coach. Xavi was literally a coach when he was a player. He was talking to Pep Guardiola, and he was they were communicating. They worked on tactics together. You can watch interviews. Pep talks about it, how basically he was the assistant coach of the greatest team of all time, that Look, 2012, that, 20, or 2011 Barca, whatever. He was essentially, he was essentially 25% of that coaching. And he is going to do it again, and he's Look, going I to cannot, bring them back to the top. I, I cannot believe that this is a debate. Nobody is saying that Chavi is dumb or that Chavi has no idea what he's doing. Nobody. You has literally said, said you don't have no, your faith. No, 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 no. no, 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 no that's no, not what he no. said. Do, that's not do not misconstrue it. I said it is too early to judge Chavi right now. I no, didn't say I thought he would fail. You said you don't. You don't think he. You did I say believe, you think he would fail. He said. He said right, and I agreed with him that all of us in this podcast want him to succeed every yes, single oh, one totally. of us in this segment am, want him I to succeed rooting. because he's a legend yeah n- nobody nobody outside of the three of us and and barca fans nobody will root for xavi more like i i hope this guy is is an amazing head coach because he's such a genius and he's such a great player that i really hope he can be one of those guys who can translate it into being a manager what i have always said is that is a hard thing to do so do, do is 
does he have the ability to do that is the question. And what I'm saying is we're not going to know that until this honeymoon period has passed that happens with all new coaches. And, and whenever there's like a new influx of energy, maybe it's a new transfer, maybe it's a new head coach, maybe it's, it's something new, whatever, new stadium, whatever. There's always an influx of energy into a club. It's the same thing for Barcelona right now. They're probably going to play really good for you know, maybe a few months, but when that honeymoon period ends, can he sustain his success? That's the question. You cannot judge that by one game. I'm not saying he's a failure. I'm not saying he sucks. All I, I, and I'm not saying he's going to be really good either. All I'm saying is I can't tell after one game whether or not he is the answer. His the, the performance looked really well. I hope he can keep it going. I've never said he's he will fail. I've never said he will succeed. All I've said is it's too early to judge that. That is the sole debate of this. You're sitting here telling me that this man, like, we need to just give him a 10-year contract. Is, yes. I'm saying, are, no, okay. I'm, that, I'm that's saying that is an absolutely terrible okay. idea because I, I would, have no I idea whether also, or not he's going to succeed in 10 I years. Would like, I would like to say that, yes, I am clearly very intense about this subject. And I'm obviously not trying to hide that. But but I think you guys are also, while, while you are recognizing that he is a genius, I do think I would absolutely, like, I, I, you guys are also acting as if it's mental to say that I have my full faith in Xavi for the next 10 years because, because you just, you just look long. at it. No, whatever. 10 years. I you, think you, you are letting your emotion blind you. You are letting your emotion, blind you. You letting your emotion blind you, I think, no, to yes. reality. No, no, to right. what reality All right. All right. You guys haven't even let me finish. And first of all, <laughs> neither of you guys can talk about emotions blinding. I think I have the least bias in general on this podcast. What? No way. <laughs> I think no, Austin, no, Austin is definitely no, number no, one is, most You, you went too far there. Okay. Okay. So anyway. So anyway. Uh, I think we've, we've seen these not only – We've only not only we've seen Xavi be a genius, but we've seen other geniuses say Xavi will be the one to take Barca back. We've seen Pep, Messi, Cruyff, uh, Cruyff's son. Like literally, I could probably there's probably tons more. All all of these Barca players are like Xavi's going to be the one to do it. I absolutely have my faith in him. I was not the one who said ten years. I will say I have my faith in him to bring Barca back to its very very best because they have. Okay. The potential, and they now have the coach, and I, I would you know, absolutely put money on that. And I know, you know that that's you know right lot, now? But I'm that's... also I'm also the one who has looked a little the, the most into the Barca situation, and who yes. also I tend totally. to see the game different than both of you in general because I rate players that you don't, and you rate yeah. players that I don't, and we it, we it, all see it differently. True. That is yes. true, and for me. When you watch Xavi and Iniesta play, it was a different level. And Xavi embodies the Barca ideal. And these players have the faith in him. I see no general – I just don't see a flaw in the system. With other coaches, there have been flaws. Like, he hasn't really – like, we just, we just don't know how he'll do as a coach. But Xavi, we've seen – I get. I know Saudi Arabia is not exactly a great example, but also when he was a player, he was no, essentially not. a coach. He was a, like you talk, you listen to Pep. He was saying he was essentially a coach. That's the argument I'm trying to make. That that you, you know you know what I hear when you, when you say uh, the 15 different things. It, it's all it's all the same thing. It's all it's all a lot of chatter. It's all a lot of talk, and it's very very little action. Right. So I understand that Pep and 
Cruyff's son and 15 million Barcelona legends who have excelled for the club can say that Xavi is going to bring them back, right? That is all well and good. I need to see it with my own two eyes. I need to see it for an extended period of time. I, I will promise you this. I will not say that Xavi is good or that Xavi is bad until at least at least a few months when you can start to get some kind of idea and then you can really come down solid maybe a year or two down the line, like this guy is it. Right. That's and what we can I, say. Like, I okay, respect he is that, but I also back. don't I also don't think it's unfair for you to like just I'm blanking on the word, but like to diminish my opinion in that, because I think while, while I am clearly very invested in this and I'm not trying to hide bias is a better word. I I don't think, I don't think this is bias. I think I have a lot of faith and I'm not trying to hide that again. I've been totally open about that, but I also think that he like is unfair. You, you shutting down my opinion in this, you, because you're like you're essentially like laugh. You are no, you are laughing at it. We're yeah, laughing because, of, because of how eccentric it is. I, I don't think we're shooting yeah. down and your it, opinion. What we're doing is we're saying, sense. hey, hey, you know, step on the brakes, chill out. Yeah. All right, that's I, I, what I'm we're saying, saying is saying, we cannot make a okay, judgment whatever. We're, 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 about we're how great Xavi is. We're repeating ourselves at this point. Yeah. I, yeah. I, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep close tabs on Xavi just because of how invested everybody here is in it. Mm-hmm. I'm really rooting for it. I'm really curious to see how he starts performing with his young guys when it comes to kind of big stage stuff like Champions League, I know that they don't really play any, anybody big as like as of soon. I think their first Champions League game is like Benfica, but it'll still be interesting to see how he performs in the Champions League. Anyway, all about, wait, Solskjaer, really quick, really quick. How about this? How about this is a requirement okay. for the podcast from now on over these next couple of months with whatever happens with United and with Barcelona. We okay. do not mention Xavi or the next United manager. We talk about the teams. We talk about how well the teams are playing because you can say during like we the honeymoon have- period, we could say we, during we the honeymoon period, about... oh, Barcelona. Well, no, Barcelona are doing well. Barcelona. That means nothing about Xavi, right? And I think that would that would allow for someone like Thad, who's obviously very very passionate, and I I, I like that. That's good. I right, love the same it. way it's about so United. Great. It allows you to look at it. It allows you to look at it through a through a less biased lens. When you say the team as a whole is performing well, not the manager, and I think that would be a better way to look at it over the next couple of months. Okay. Then we well, can make that switch. We'll 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 see how that we'll see how that goes. Yeah, but, I don't think but, it'll last. But, but you, you you hinted you hint at the next part, uh, Austin, and that is Man United has finally finally decided to be decisive. This is all I've been asking for from the Manchester United board, Ooh. and they did it. They fired Ollie. They made Let's a decision. Go. Like I I didn't think it was possible, but they made. It was a, a mutual termination. It was a mutual contract termination. No, this last time I checked, fired managers don't, don't get to do a farewell interview with the club, with the club's don't, media. Just Austin, saying, Austin, Austin, don't lie to yourself. No, it was it was a fire. It was a fire. I know. There we go. He was given the opportunity to resign, which is what he did, which is I think classy of the United Board. They said you can resign or you can get fired, and and he said I'm going to resign. So he got fired. It's just we're we're going to like butter it up because he's a Manchester United legend, and we don't want to make him look bad. Is he really hilarious? You shut your mouth. That's sad. Sad. We're not going there. We're not going there. We're not going there. Let's assess Ollie's time. I want Austin to do this part because he's going to be the most familiar. Austin, I want you to assess Ollie's time at Manchester United 
where he started with the program, where he finished with the program, and where you think they need to go next. Go. I think overall, Ollie's time at United was good. Uh, I, I, I mean, he, I think he created something in the team. He created a mindset in the team that brought hope back to a lot of fans. And that's what a lot of, a lot of club legends have said, a lot of players have said. Whether he was a good manager or not, he left the team in a better place than he found it. I think as far as talent goes, as far as morale goes, mentality goes, I think it is overall, we are better than we were three years ago. Now, I, I just hope that in the coming weeks and months and years, when we look back at Ollie's, you know, three years at the club, that we don't let the last couple of weeks, uh, we don't let the last couple of weeks diminish all the great things that he was able to do. You know, and, and that we let those good memories shine through, you know, that night in Paris or the, uh, the, the double over city or, or any of those things that were so great that led to so much joy for the United community. I just, I, I hope that we don't, we don't overshadow those things with the couple of weeks of, of bad uh, press that he is inevitably going to get. I mean, I mean, he was bad for more than a couple of weeks, but yeah. yeah. Well, no, but he, but he was wasn't, though, right? it, was, it was tactically, but tactically, right? Tactically is, is different. Was he a bit tactically inept? Yeah. But I think what he did was he was good. I think he was good at the man managing portion of, being, of what being a manager was. It's because yeah. all the players, when you'd sit down with them, they liked him. They enjoyed playing for him. And I think that, again, especially in the last couple of weeks, I think you saw it more. Uh, or, or in the final versus Villarreal last year, or, or in a, you know several other games throughout his time at the club, what you saw was was a lack of identity, which sucks, and you can't have it at United. And I think that's what Thad's talking about with Xavi at Barca. He's bringing back that Barcelona identity. Yeah, and that's what United need now so is to is to bring back that United identity, right? But right. but it's but it, that's the, so I think the question to do I think. The question is, what do you want that identity to look like, right? Because Bar- Barcelona, Barcelona have a distinct historical identity that you can you can look to and say, we need to find a guy who brings that here, and then obviously fits our culture. Like I said culture hires are so huge. What identity do you look at at Manchester United and say like that style of play is what we need? That kind of like aggress aggressivity or or you know whatever it might be that's what we need. Where, where do you like, what do you want that to look like? And then after you, you know, come to that conclusion, who do you, who do you go out and get? I think what you need at United is you need that, that idea of, you know, quick, quick counterattacking, uh, fast paced, you know, maybe not possession heavier possession controlling, but, but very fast and very attacking, very aggressive football. That's what you need. And the person to do that, I think, at least in my mind with the stats that he has, is, is Eric Ten Hag, the manager of Ajax, who apparently, from a couple other Sky Sports sources and things like that, has said that he would take the job after the summer, that he wouldn't take it in the middle of the season, which I understand. He's coaching a great team. He loves Ajax. I fully get that. You know, but that, that I, I think I saw today in a statistic that they gave for him, that he has like 2.7 goals a game in his managerial career at, 2. at Ajax. 2.7 points a game. No, 2.7 goals per game. That's the thing. That's the crazy thing. He's because he has had so many just ridiculous score lines. And, and granted, it's the air of his day. I get that. 
But no, there's like 2.7 goals a game that he's scoring. I think he scored like something, something like, or, or his team has scored something close to 300 goals in 150 matches or something like that, which is just insane. Or it might be more than that. I, I, I'd have to find the statistic again. But it's ridiculous. I mean, ridiculous attacking okay. play. We, we were both wrong. It's actually uh, three goals per game. Is it three goals? Oh three my goals? god! Is it actually? Okay, that is. Yeah. I mean, that is insane. Okay. Yeah. That is insanity. How good that is as a coach, right? I mean, taking granted, right? I think when you look at the air of his day, it's like, okay, is it a top six league? No, obviously not. But then you see him translate that into Europe. You see him translated into the Champions League, and I think you still see that that same attacking level. That's how he got an Ajax team full of twenty year olds to a Champions League semifinal, and who, that who was barely lost. I mean, it's they, like they probably should have won too. They, like they, they should have won that game. They should have won that game. They would have. Way, the, the three goals fighting. per game is just for this season. I don't know if that's what, what we are talking about, but well, no, and and then and then I think it's it's something like two point three or two point four for the rest of his like career at Ajax. It's crazy, but I mean th- those statistics are ridiculous, and I think that kind of attacking play when you have players like Jaden Sancho who hasn't really caught his stride at United yet, you have some like Marcus Rashford who is very quick, who's very skillful right Ronaldo obviously very skillful very quick who can hit the ball like no one else or Greenwood who's so good on both of his feet when you have that attacking talent you need someone who's going to show you attacking football I don't think that defensive football works at United because our our defense sucks it's I mean it's just it's a terrible defensive line when you don't have Rafael Varane we, just, we don't because it all you get is you get the same defensive line you had last year and the year before more or less and that's not good enough Victor Lindelof I think has played fairly well um over the last couple of games but not great Harry, Harry Maguire Harry Maguire for 80 million is ridiculous he had his first good game in like six weeks yesterday and even then he got killed and then he got sent off so what a waste of money that was yeah, an incredible waste of money. Where if we had taken that eighty or even ninety or a hundred, and we had spent that on Rafael Varane three years ago, we would be in such a better place now. And Ali might still have a job if that if that was what we were looking at, right? You buy, but would you really players. want that? No, no, that's that's the thing. You know, that's no, I wouldn't. Okay, so um, I would, um, I would. I don't know if I'm interrupting, but I, I'm kind of am. But I just I want to comment a little bit on what. You're saying I actually really agree with what you're saying, um, but I do think you haven't mentioned. But I would I think it's important to mention that while Ollie has like done done okay for the club, um, I think you put you put a different manager, a better manager, but a tactical manager. You guys are one of the best teams in the world right now um, because he had the opportunity, he had the funds, he had the players to bring to bring together one of the best teams in the world. And because, I mean, he just didn't have the tactical abilities. He just didn't. Um, but I, I do think he, he really, he helped develop some great players. Um, and he, he, he had a good team. Uh, I think he did okay overall. But I, I and he, he's created a lot of press, a lot of media. He's done well for the club. But I don't think, I think realistically, you put a different, put a different guy in there. Um, and it's, it's a different story. You guys are a top three, top five team in the world right now. Um, and yeah, also, I, I did, sorry, just this is super, super quick, but Eric Ten Hag's stats are, um, he has 2.7 goals per game over his lifetime at Ajax. That's, that's, that's crazy. That I, is I, a ridiculous I, yeah, the, statistic. The, the, more, the more that you talk about Eric Ten Hag, the more I favor his, his odds of success at Manchester United. 
Um, and I, I'm not going to say I think he'll succeed because um, I've made my stance on that very clear. Yeah, I think Thad might have a conniption if you, if you start favoring Eric. <laughs> yeah, if I is going to blow it up at Manchester United, I think Thad, I think Thad's head might explode. Um, no, but I, I think I think all those points are valid. And I think when you take a guy who's who's used to working at a developmental club like Ajax is, um, and and you put him in a team like Manchester United, there's going to be some problems that you run into with dealing with more superstar characters because he doesn't have to do that at a developmental club. But he's also going to be able to take advantage of the youth that Manchester United has. You mentioned it, Sancho, Greenwood, um, I can't even think of his name, Rashford, all of these really young, I think they're still all pretty young at least below 25 so they still have time to develop and and get better and i think eric ten Hag can take advantage of that i think the manchester united the way that manchester united should handle the the rest of i don't know i don't, I don't say that, the rest of the season and then in the next three seasons after that i think they need to cut off a lot of fat they need to get rid of a lot of older players and start stretching their team because they i think they have a pretty old defense they need to get rid of fat like harry Maguire. um not that he is physically fat, although I, he kind of is a big Jesus. dude. Uh, but but you know you know what I mean. Like the the team fat guys just aren't contributing, I, I agree. aren't, aren't I agree. worth the yeah. money. Harry mm-hmm. Maguire needs to go. I think guys like Paul Phil Pogba, Jones have been around Paul forever. Paul Pogba needs to go. Gone. Phil Jones needs Paul to go. Paul Pogba gone. Nemanja Matic is as good as he is. I think needs to go. Yeah, I think you need to start restructuring your team around what Eric Ten Hag has been able to do. I think that's where they should go as far as the manager job their next manager is that they should really target eric ten hog I'm, I'm shocked that that guy doesn't have a, a big five league job yet and he's still stuck at ix um but that would be i think that would be in the same way that xavi is likely a home run hire although we can't say that yet it's a little too early but is likely that kind of hire for barcelona i think that eric ten hog has that potential for manchester united now is the manchester united board smart enough to see that or are they are they patient enough to wait until the end of the season to out to go out and get that guy and and kind of suck it with an interim manager for a little bit? I don't know. Well, what I a lot of people what are. a lot of people have said what a lot of people have said is what, and what I've heard is that you know Ali may have been a partial problem. Jose Mourinho, Louis Van Gaal, David Moyes, whatever they may have been part of the problem. But who has survived these last eight years? The Glazers and Ed Woodward. It is the yeah, same. It is the same leadership over the last eight years, which is yeah. a problem. And I think that's, that needs to be fi- fixed before anything else can. But the last thing I want to say, and it goes back to what Thad was saying, is I think that is what more than anything else that Ali, that, that the United fans should be thankful to Ali for is building the team that he built, bringing in the players that he did. I mean, he, and, and, and creating players like Mason Greenwood, right? Who, if, if Jose Mourinho had remained manager, Greenwood would have never been given a chance because I think we all know how Jose Mourinho feels about young players. He's not a fan of them. We've seen it at Roma this season with with uh, Brian Reynolds, the um, the American right back who is overall a very good player but hasn't gotten minutes at, at Roma. He's a young player. A lot of the young players under Jose Mourinho don't get that time. But I mean, bringing in Ronaldo, bringing in Sancho and Varane, and and build take making the best out of Mason Greenwood, I think is so is so important to what United are going to be over the next couple of years that I think that the United fans, whether, regardless of their feelings about how Ali ended his career at United, they, they need to be thankful 
for that. And they need to be grateful for him for doing that. Tactics, they weren't great. But he, he was the guy that built this team that I don't think very many others could have at the time. So, Yeah, I think you should definitely be thankful for, for – and you said it best earlier. Like he, he left the team in a better spot than he started with, right? He, the team improved under Ollie as far as talent goes, as far as you know, winning goes. And that's all you can really ask for, right? Especially for the state that Manchester United was in. It's time for it, it's time for Manchester United to go out and get the guy who takes them from being I'll say this. Ollie brought the team from being a average team to a good team, right? And now from crap next to being okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Crap to being okay. No, it was a crap team. It? it was a, it was it was a crap team to begin with. And he took However it to being something that was, it, that was he, worth he, anything. He brought the team to a good spot. The next, and I think you could say that, like Manchester United are a good team. They're just not elite. And that's where the next manager needs to take them. He needs to take this team from being good to being elite, where Manchester United kind of belong on, you know, with that upper echelon of teams in world football, right? They're kind of a tier three team right now. They need to be up in the tier tier two and, and tier one with teams like Liverpool, City, PSG, Bayern. That's kind of where Manchester United belong. They haven't been there in a while but they certainly have the team talent to do it. They just need to make sure that they get the right manager in. And I, I think for the flaws that, that Ed Woodward and, and the Glazer ownership have, they're not going anywhere for the time being, right? So well, Ed Woodward is. Ed Woodward is resigning at the end of the year. He's already come out and he said that, that he will be stepping okay. down as, as president at the end of the year, So, which I guess is a little victory. Yes, but the Glazers, I think, are the real kind of – issue here but as long as they don't do anything stupid as long as they don't get in the way right if you can just find a manager and, and a sporting director who who are pretty much autonomous and just run the club themselves as far as the players go and 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 the team goes and the glazers aren't getting in the way you can still find success with with that crappy ownership right so i think that's kind of how manchester united should handle things going forwards at least in my eyes all right. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree with you. Yeah. I think we got to wrap it up, though. I, I think the <laughs> last yeah, thing that things... I will say, and it isn't United related, it's something for the future. Today marks one year until the World Cup starts. Just saying, today is one year. To, one year until the 2022 World Cup. Wait, uh, obviously. Yeah, today how is, is. How does that yeah, work? It is in November this year because it is in Qatar. Qatar, because it's being held in Qatar. So, oh yeah, it's from it was from the. The end of November until the week before Christmas. How the heck the... does that work? During I didn't even know that. How the heck does that work? Given given it being in season, what are we just gonna have a bunch they, of what they do is they're gonna take they're gonna take a month long break and then they're gonna have a week they're gonna have a week on either side uh, for the players to like relax. I guess it's it's that, it's gonna be tough strange. and it's gonna be a Dude, it's the, gonna the be a bad Qatar season thing. Next year. The Qatar thing was just a huge mistake. From that is a whole other episode. I think we could talk about that yeah. maybe next week. Um, that was terrible. Because that is a whole conversation to have where I think we all probably have some opinions on, on Qatar being chosen. But they did that. That's terrible. It, it's not going to be. Yeah. It yeah. was just the mention that I wanted to make is one Any year from favorites? today begins. Uh, early favorites right now. I'm thinking England look really good. Uh, Italy, if they can make it through the the playoffs, yeah, that trophy is really never good. coming home. Uh, it's never coming Germany. home to England. Germany, I, Germany, Germany. Listen, could I will, be really I will, good. No, Germany, Germany, Germany Hans could be. I think they just uh, yeah, 
Yep, they've got actually, the new actually, coach. They look fantastic. Get, get, All right, right we gotta wrap it up. We do that anyway. Next week, next week we'll yeah, talk yeah, about World we Cup. We can talk more about that next week. And, and the Champions League <laughs> is back this Thanksgiving week. We may or may not have a recap. Uh, yeah, we probably will. But Thanksgiving break, we could definitely pull something yeah, off next Sunday. Yeah, there we Saturday. Go. Yeah, here we go. We'll have that Champions League recap up. All right, thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you next week. All right, welcome to the college football segment of this week's EO Smith Sports Talk podcast. I'm joined by our guy, Alex. We've got two weeks to cover, uh, but I want to start with this week, a pretty big matchup. We saw Michigan State get absolutely killed after Mel Tucker's huge contract extension. Alex, what was your reaction to this big game against the Buckeyes where the Buckeyes just dominated the seventh-ranked Michigan State Wolverines? Yeah, I mean, this game looked like it was Ohio State playing an unranked team. Uh, Michigan State was no obstacle for them. It was like they didn't have a football team or at least a defense out on the field because it was just touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. I think C.J. Stroud threw six touchdown passes, upwards of 400 yards. He had a a potential Heisman game if you want to throw him in that conversation. I think it essentially knocked out the front runner who was Michigan State's running back because he didn't do anything against that Buckeye defense. I think if he wanted – Excuse me. If you wanted to have a chance at winning the trophy, Michigan State had to come out with a win here. That didn't happen. This was just a, a, a bloodbath of a game. And you mentioned Mel Tucker's contract extension. I don't know how. I mean, do you do you extend a guy who just got blasted like he did in the fashion that he did against an Ohio State team that's had a down year so far? Um, you know, obviously they lost to to Oregon. Oregon's not a, I mean, they're number three team in the country, but they have not impressed by any sense of the word. Um, I, I think I was thinking to myself watching the game, like, hey, this is kind of Mel Tucker's signal. I know he said that this is his destination job, that that he wants to sign an extension. Like, dude, just get out of there. Go coach LSU or something. Go get a fresh start because that loss is embarrassing. That is one of that is probably one of the, the most embarrassing losses in Michigan State's history. That was really, really bad. It's going to be huge for Ohio State recruiting. I think that ranked win, at least in in my eyes, for a team that has struggled so far this season, this was their complete game. This is the game they just kind of like kicked the door down and said, Ohio State's here uh, uh, to to the national stage. I think they're going to knock, at least in my opinion, they should knock Alabama down to the number three team in the country. Alabama struggled against Arkansas today. So, uh, you know, eventually we'll we'll touch on that. but I think Alabama moves down to number three. Ohio State jumps up to number two. Oregon gets pushed down to number four. That's how I'd order my top five. Georgia, obviously, is still the number one team in the country. But Ohio State has been really impressive. I mean, this is this is like one of them big-time programs just blowing out like an unranked FCS opponent early in the season. It, it really just wasn't fair. It wasn't even a football game. It was just a bloodbath across the field. This is the best offense of the country, and it isn't really even close. They have three first-round receivers on the roster. They got one of the. They got the best true freshman running back in the country, and one of the best running backs total in the country. Travion Henderson has been ultra impressive this season. They have tons of talent on the defensive side of the ball. Th- this is a horrible time to play Ohio State, and unfortunately, Michigan has to do that next week. And I think you, you've got to look at the quarterback position as well because C.J. Strude was dominant today. Um, and you mentioned Alabama. Obviously, that was another. Uh, highlighted game coming into this week. 
they get a big win, but not exactly, you know, the blowout you might've been expecting from them despite Bryce young looking really good. So if you're, if you're assessing Alabama, obviously you think they might drop down a spot in the rankings, but is this something to worry about that they barely won this game with their quarterback playing so well? Yeah, I think this has just kind of been the story for Alabama all season. Like they have costly mistakes at, at key moments. You know, uh, you're watching the game. They're driving down the field. They get into the red zone down. It looks like it's going to be another touchdown pass for Bryce Young. His receiver fumbles it at the three-yard line and Arkansas recovers. Boom, no points on the board. So and in addition to those key mistakes, it's not even that they've had a ton of mistakes because they really haven't. They've just had mistakes at horrible times. Uh, and, and if, you know, their defense – uh, is kind of the exact opposite where they haven't played good, but when they need to step up, they've stepped up and they did that today. Will Anderson is the best defensive player in the country. He leads the league in, or sorry, he leads the nation in sacks. He played really well. So it's, it's kind of a, a two-sided coin for Alabama. Their offense has been carrying them essentially all season, but uh, when they get into the big moments, they have a sophomore QB. They have a pretty young roster overall. They make some big time mistakes and, and it costs them, and it will cost them down the line against some pretty good teams. You know, Arkansas obviously couldn't punish them for, for that fumble. Um, they couldn't take advantage of some of the, the gifts they were given from Alabama, and they ended up losing by seven. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you know, they give up a lot of yards, but when they need to step up, they do. But it's kind of like, well, you know, why can't we do this every single time? It, it's just been an issue of inconsistency for them. They have a ton of talent. It's obviously still a very dangerous team. Bryce Young is the odds on favorite as of right now for the Heisman trophy. He played really well. Uh, Will Anderson is another guy on the Alabama roster. It's like every single year, Alabama's got three guys in the Heisman race, but again, Will Anderson's kind of that other guy on Alabama defensive end linebacker kind of guy leads the league in sacks or leads the nation in sacks, leads the nation in tackles for loss, ultra talented roster, ultra talented team. I just don't think that they've played their complete game yet where they can, you know, they can really kind of cement themselves, kind of like Ohio State did today where everything just came together. Defense was great. Offense was great. Alabama is still dealing with that inconsistency, and they might never get to that complete game, and that's kind of where you, you worry about them playing some of the better teams down the line in the SEC championship where they're going to face off against Georgia, maybe even next week against Auburn. Even though Auburn's unranked, they have to go to Auburn, and then, you know, if they make the college football playoff, playing some of those teams. All right, I want to touch on that Michigan-Ohio State game. You talked about it a little bit, but this is, you know, one of the rivalries we look forward to every year. Michigan, obviously, they had a tough loss to Michigan State, but they get a huge win this week. Ohio State, as you mentioned, a scary sight right now. Uh, so who would you have next week in that big matchup? Yeah, I think this is kind of a, a repeat of this week where Ohio State played Michigan State. You have two teams that are in the top 10, but it's not really a fair matchup because one of them is just ridiculously talented. It's going to be in Ann Arbor. That's always going to be a test. Whenever you go play your rival away, you know whether it's uh, Alabama going to play Auburn, Ohio State going to play Michigan, uh, one of those type of rivalry games where you're on the road, it's always going to be tough. It's always going to be a good challenge. But you know, earlier in the year, you might have asked me, and uh, I, I think I said, I think I probably would have said Michigan has a chance this year because Michigan looked pretty good. Um, you know, th their quarterback play was all right, but their run game was really really the uh the the factor that was carrying them on offense and then with ohio state cj stroud was struggling they couldn't really get anything going uh you know consistently on offense and their defense was was not where it needed to be but 
they have come leaps and bounds since losing to Oregon in week two and, and some of those struggles in the early season. They've come so far from then. Like, like I said, this offense is by far the best offense in the country. So I, I don't think it will really it, – it might be one of those games where it's kind of a test because Ohio State is away for the first half. We get into the second half, that attrition starts to set in. Michigan seeing deep pass after deep pass after deep pass. And that talented receiver room, which has probably four or five stars just in that receiver room, is going to start you know, making some plays. They're going to start coming up big. Uh, towards the second half when that attrition starts to set in. Travion Henderson is going to start to assert himself in that second half, and that's when Ohio State, I think, pulls away, cements their spot in the Big Ten Championship and in the, uh, the college football playoff. All right, looking ahead to tonight's game, uh, Oregon-Utah. Obviously, Oregon's the number three-ranked team in the country, but Utah's the favorites tonight. So if you had to pick outright, who do you have winning? I think I have Oregon winning this one outright. Uh, I, I think they're too talented to – I'll say if they play a B-plus or better game, Oregon is too talented to lose to Utah. I think Oregon has to do some things to hurt themselves in order to lose this game. It's going to be tough. Like I feel like a broken record at this point, uh, talking about you know going into some of these away environments in college football, but it's the truth. Utah is one of the tough places to play in college football. It's, it's going to be a tough matchup for Oregon, but I think they've showed – Maybe they haven't showed off their talent and their ability so much this season, but they have showed their grit and toughness to kind of grind out some wins. Um, and they, did it, they did it, I think it might have been last or two weeks ago against Washington. They did it earlier in the season where they grinded out a win against Ohio State. So I, I think Oregon comes out with the win. Uh, it'll be close for what you would expect for an on-paper number three versus number 24 team in the country, but in all actuality, I think this game was always going to be close based on who these two teams are, but I do think Oregon has a slight edge, and I think they win probably by seven to ten points. All right, before I open it up uh, for you to cover whatever you want, I want to talk about one more matchup next week, and that's Oklahoma-Oklahoma State. Obviously, two of the top-ranked teams in the country. Um, it's going to be a special matchup. So who do you have winning that one? Yeah, that's a really interesting matchup. Uh, it, it's kind of the tale of – of uh, it's Oklahoma State's defense against whatever version of Oklahoma's offense decides to show up, right? I, I, we, we watched Caleb Williams light it up against Texas and, and, and drive Oklahoma back to a what was like a – you know, 21 point comeback or something like that against the Longhorns and, and pulled out that Red River shootout win. And then from there on out, he proceeded to struggle, right? And people anointed him after that game as a potential Heisman candidate, having played, you know, even though he would have only played like half the season, people were talking about him for the Heisman. Yeah, that hasn't worked out. They really have no consistency at quarterback on the offensive side of the ball. Neither Caleb Williams nor Spencer Rattler is really the, the caliber of quarterback that Oklahoma has had in years past. You know, for a team that's had Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, three starting quarterbacks in the row who have gone second round or better. You had two guys win the Heisman and go first overall. So uh, Lincoln Riley, I think, is, is maybe struggling with not having the amount of talent at quarterback that he normally has. Uh, however, his offense still has a ton of firepower like they did against Texas where they, they lit it up for like 55 points. They can do that. However, they've struggled recently, right? They only put up, I think it was like 17 or 14 uh, against Baylor. They didn't put up a ton of points. They put up 28 points against Iowa State. Um, and, and Iowa State is a good defensive team, but so is Oklahoma State. They're probably the best defense in the Big 12. So 
if Oklahoma State has the points to to outscore uh, Oklahoma, given the talent that Oklahoma State has on defense, I think the Cowboys come out with the win this next week. All right, what else caught your eye this week? Yeah, I was impressed with Michigan's win over Maryland. Uh, I thought it was a really good win. I thought it was kind of a response to Michigan fans that were watching the Ohio State blowout over Michigan State and, and saying like, holy crap, we have to go play those guys next week. Well, Michigan went out and put up 59 points, right, which was more than Ohio State did. Granted, Michigan State's a much better team, um, but it was a great offensive performance, and I think that's kind of the confidence boost that Michigan needs going into next week. It's, it's going to be a tough matchup, and I've already given my analysis on, on why I think Ohio State will come out with the win. But just from a mental standpoint, for you know, a, a Michigan offensive player to, to come off of a week you know, going into Ohio State knowing you're going to have to put up a ton of points because their offense is, like I said, far away, the best offense in the country – you know, you can look back on Maryland and just say, well, we put up 59. Like, why can't, why can't we do that? Why can't we do something similar against a, a better Ohio State defense? Why can't we put up, you know, maybe 49 or, or 45? That number might be enough points to win the game, you know, given that the, the home field advantage that they have. Uh, so I, I think it was uh, this week was a big confidence boost for Michigan players. It'll, you know, we'll have to see how well it pays off next week. Uh, and then in addition to that, Cincinnati, I thought they looked really impressive. I think Cincinnati still needs some help in the playoff picture. Uh, some teams above them probably got to lose an extra game. Maybe it's Alabama in the SEC championship. Two losses is enough for the committee to say, we're not taking Alabama this year. We'll take Cincinnati. Um, they look good against SMU, uh, a solid win for a team that has kind of struggled since that big Notre Dame victory. They, they beat Notre Dame and, and everybody kind of looked at Cincinnati's schedule and said, this team is going to steamroll the rest of their schedule. They're going to make the playoff. That hasn't exactly happened. I remember watching the Navy game. Navy was like one and seven or something like that at, at you know, when the, when the two teams ended up meeting and, and Cincinnati had to grind out a victory against a very bad Navy team. Um, and I think for me that I kind of looked at that and said, you know, Hey, maybe the Cincinnati team isn't a top four team in the country. And I, th I think they need some help, but it's definitely doable. Uh, you know, a big blowout win against a pretty good SMU team. And then Notre Dame, Notre Dame's just kind of still hanging around there. They're a one-loss team. Uh, they they uh, obviously their one loss was to Cincinnati, but they've steamrolled essentially the rest of their schedule. They were supposed to. They're doing what Cincinnati was supposed to do with their with those two team schedules after that game, uh, and and they've played really well. I've been really impressed with Notre Dame. I don't think they've earned a playoff spot so much, um, but they're just kind of hanging around there. If a few teams above them struggle towards the end of the season, lose some conference championship games, get upset in the final week of the season. You could very well see Notre Dame hanging around that five or four spot. I think right now they're at eight. Uh, they're certainly going to jump, I think, after this week, especially with Michigan State's loss. And then Clemson. I think Clemson is probably the last team I'm going to touch on here. They finally were able to get their offense figured out. And I think that's, that's the big thing that's been missing all season because Clemson's defense has been lights out all season. They've, they've been what Clemson's defense is supposed to be and holding teams to under 20 points, under 25 points, Clemson's offense just hasn't been able to get things together. And that's why they've had close games against teams like Syracuse. who you would never expect to for Clemson to have close games against DJ Uyangalale, who was kind of a, a preseason anointed Heisman favorite. Hasn't he definitely hasn't lived up to that this season, but you know, he put together a really great performance. He had some, some, um, flashy plays it definitely flashed his potential to 
to kind of keep plays alive. Um, he's a big physical dude and, and he was able to you know break some tackles and, and make some big plays on the run and, and outside of the pocket today. I was impressed with his performance and just overall with Clemson. I was really, really surprised that they were able to play as well as they did. Uh, I thought Wake Forest was going to come out with a close victory in this one. That's not how that went at all. Clemson ended up blowing them out. 48-27 was the final score. I don't know if it's still possible for Clemson to sneak into the ACC championship, uh, but if it is, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up sneaking uh, away with an ACC championship this year where a lot of people just kind of wrote them off, especially after their really slow start. All right, is that it? I think that's everything from me. Sounds good. That'll that'll be it for this week's uh, college football segment. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back. Welcome into the NBA segment of this week's EO Smith Sports Talk podcast. I'm joined by Leon and Aaron. We're going to run through the past few weeks in the NBA uh, and make some predictions for the upcoming se- the rest of the upcoming season. Uh, and we'll start with the Golden State Warriors, who are obviously the best team in the NBA record-wise right now. But Leon and Aaron, I ask you, are the Golden State Warriors the NBA title favorites right now? I mean, they're legit. I don't see them as an NBA favorite. I still see the Nets or uh, the Lakers, in my belief. But I see the Warriors as a legit team that can contend. Their bench is solid. Their defense is playing great. They're, they're just an all-around great team. Even when Steph Curry is out, we're not playing. They're still winning. And Jordan Poole and like the supporting cast are really, are really helping the Warriors of, um, elevate to like a contending team. Yeah, I feel like the Warriors are definitely the best team in the league right now, without a doubt. Steph Curry's been absolutely balling out this season, and they're showing that they can win without Klay Thompson. And I just see them making a deep run in the playoffs and maybe even the finals, but we'll just have to wait and see. Still a long season to go. Yeah, I'm with you guys on them being the NBA Finals favorites. I would hold off on saying that they're currently the best team in the NBA. Obviously, I know their record's the best, but without Klay Thompson, if the playoffs started tomorrow, I would not be betting my money on the Warriors, but knowing that Klay Thompson is going to come back and James Wiseman is going to come back and they still could make a deal at the deadline using guys like Moses Moody and Kuminga and um, Wiseman, I I think this is a Warriors team that has endless potential and is the clear favorite right now because if we look around the league, obviously the the Suns are are looking good. I think they've won like 10 straight, 11 straight. Um, But other than that, I mean, the East – seems pretty weak like there's the jazz are okay with the west there's no you know there's no lebron led lakers at the top of the west right now um so it's just kind of a a flat landscape across the nba where i think the warriors have to be the clear favorites and that's because in part because the nets don't have Kyrie. so i want to talk about those nets do we think they can contend for an nba finals without Kyrie? because this year like as well as kevin durant's playing and you know he's probably the second uh, place MVP right now. This Nets team just doesn't look like a, a contender to me right now. Uh, right now, the league is wide open, but I believe if, if, Ky- if Kyrie gets gets back, no, if the Nets get Kyrie back, I believe the league is, is not as wide open as many people think. I believe the Nets are a favorite if Kyrie is back, but right now the league is wide open. I see a lot of the top five teams being contenders. And the Nets are in that position that they can easily, easily win with Kyrie back. But I'm not sure if if without Kyrie, they, uh, they can uh, have an easy ride to the championship. 
Yeah, the Nets have been proven that they can win without Kyrie, but they really aren't what we expected. And to be honest, the only thing that, that's stopping the Nets is themselves. And Harden's uh, he's used to getting fouls and going to the free throw line, but the new rule change has definitely taken a toll on his game. <clears throat> and Kevin Durant will be out with a shoulder injury, but hopefully it's some, it's not something that'll keep him out for multiple games because they will have to rely on him in the long run. But overall, like I said, the only thing stopping the Nets is themselves. And we've talked about those rule changes that that you touched on. Obviously, we know James Harden is a guy who uses those, you know, drawing the foul, leaning into the fouls. He uses that as much as any player in the league. So he's been affected by it. But just in the game today, the Nets had uh, or Harden had 20 free throws for the Nets. So if Harden can get to the line 20 times and he put in 19 of them, we know he's a prolific free throw shooter. Um, obviously, if, if he can find his way back to the free throw line, this offense is still dangerous with him and Kevin Durant, who we know can be the best scorer in the NBA at ease. Um, so in the East, you know, obviously I'm still watching out for the Nets. I wouldn't say they're clear contenders to the NBA title, but in the East, you know, it doesn't seem like there's a, you know, clear number one, the 76ers, obviously we know Ben Simmons bucks. They should be in my opinion, but they haven't looked great yet. Maybe it's because of injuries. We'll have to wait and see on that, but I'm not, I'm not uh, out on the Nets quite yet. I want to go to the Lakers. Obviously, we know Leon's a big bandwagon, but they look terrible. They lost to the Celtics last night. They were blown out. LeBron and AD not even on the floor for most of the fourth quarter. I'll start with you, Leon. Do you think your Lakers are contending this year? Or A, is LeBron washed? Or B, is this Lakers roster just so poorly built? Because Russell Westbrook, if we're being honest, is as bad or worse than I predicted he would be. If there's any time to struggle, it's the beginning of the season, I bet you when it comes to June, when it comes to the playoffs, you don't want to see the Lakers in the playoffs. If the Lakers get into the playoffs, I don't care if they're the eighth seed, the top first seed, every single team are going to be scared of the Lakers solely due to LeBron, AD, and Russell Westbrook. And I believe however the Lakers get into the playoffs, they're going to be a threat and they're going to be contending. But right now, it's the beginning of the season. I'm worried, but I believe the struggles will pass and I believe they will gel. Uh, later on to the season. Yeah, injuries have just been a really big problem for this team, and it's honestly not surprising to see this to see this team struggle early on. And there is still a lot of basketball to be played. And while LeBron doesn't think it's time to panic, he does acknowledge that the Lakers do have to play a lot better than they have been so far. Yeah, I mean, am I panicking? I think I'm going to have to say yes because. Look, this is a team that last night was totally healthy. And now I know they haven't had too much time together on the court, but when you have veterans like LeBron and AD who they have chemistry, and then of course, Rondo, who's been with the Lakers and uh, Carmelo, who has chemistry with LeBron, like these aren't guys that are just being thrown together. And they're all veterans where this, this process of molding together should be easier in my opinion. And this Lakers roster, like, I just don't see how Russell Westbrook and LeBron James are going to mold together to become this functional duo alongside Anthony Davis, of course, but Russell Westbrook has just looked so bad and he's so ball dominant that there's no way, you know, he's just going to give up the ball and say, yeah, LeBron, you take it. I'll be a spot up shooter in the corner because we know he can't shoot. And obviously the same thing goes with LeBron. You're not taking the ball out of LeBron's hands and LeBron's not a spot up shooter. So I think this is a case of a terribly built team just look at the Washington Wizards, and that's the prime example of 
okay, Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Kyle Kuzma, Montrez Harrell. This is a Wizards team that's at the very top of the East, looking like they're one of the best teams in the NBA right now with those Lakers players shining. So if, if I'm looking at this Lakers roster, if I'm the Lakers GM, I'm, I'm considering or I'm you know curious if I made all the wrong moves this offseason. We know about the Buddy Heald deal that was almost almost made. Right now, if I'm the Lakers, I am very disappointed with how this season started, and I am panicking on L.A. With that being said, let's talk about Washington. Are they a legit contender? Because they're surprising me, that's for sure. They don't have a top five, top 10, even top 20 talent in the NBA, yet this uh, Wizards roster is just winning games flat out. So do we think they're a contender this year? I don't know about that not having a top 20 player in the NBA, but the Wizards are the biggest fraud in the NBA. And solely due to the they don't have a top 10 player. Bradley Beal is like an A2 type of player. They need an A1 superstar, and they don't have that. And they have a lot of pieces that, like, they, ha- they have, like, young pieces and uh, what they got from the Lakers. But I believe the Wizards are the biggest fraud in the NBA right now. I think the Wizards have been the biggest surprise uh, so far this season, especially defensively. And that's shown because they're allowing 10 points fewer per 100 possessions compared to the past three seasons. And most of the credit, I think, should go to their new head coach, Wes Unsell Jr., who made it clear in training camp that defense would be his number one priority. So it's still very early on in the season, but I wouldn't count the Wizards out, to be honest. Yeah, huge surprise. Um, I agree that Bradley Beal is a, a pretty good player. Top 20, that's debatable. But anyway, yeah, this this Wizards roster, I'm not going to say they're one of the top teams in the East. I think it's more of a case of, you know, guys like uh, Kuzma and Harrell playing very, very well and maybe a little bit better than they truly are. So I think water is going to find its level. This Wizards roster is going to make the playoffs, but they're not a contender in the East. Uh, another, another team that's surprised me so far, the Cleveland Cavaliers, they're not at the top of the East, but currently they are in the playoff picture as it sits. Obviously, I think they just lost, um, Sexton for the year, but can this Cavs team compete? We know that they have the big men Mobley and Markinen and, uh, Jared Allen, uh, Darius Garland, and now they lose Sexton, but is this Cavs roster a team that can truly make the playoffs or is this just another fluke like the Wizards? Yeah, I don't know why you're talking about this. This is the worst question on the podcast. They're a fluke. They're too young. They're not. Uh, they, it's the beginning of the season right now. They're uh, some games may some teams may uh, surprise you, but in the end, they won't be. They won't be in the playoff contending situation. I think the Cavs right now just have absolutely the worst luck in the NBA right now with all the injuries happening. Now, their star player, Colin Sexton, is going to be out, and their rising star, Evan Mobley, is going to be out with the sprained elbow. And with the schedule they have and all the combined injuries they have, uh, the Cavs will face the most adversity this season. And if they can at least stay 500 through the first 40 games, they do have a good chance to make the play-in tournament, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I think the Cavs are not going to make the playoffs. I'm surprised they're not the worst team in the league in terms of a record. Um, I think they're a fluke for sure. One team that's kind of the opposite of the Cavs and the Wizards, the Atlanta Hawks last year in the Eastern Conference Finals. We've talked about them a little bit this year. Off to a slow start, but the slow start hasn't picked up. We've seen 
a team like the Lakers, you know, they're at 500. They're still in the playoff picture. The Celtics, they've gotten some wins recently. Water's starting to find its level for those teams. But for the Hawks, it it just does they don't look right. They don't look like that Eastern Conference Finals contender. And especially this is a young team that is kind of in their prime window with all these guys who haven't hit their contract extensions yet. This is a Hawks team that I expected to be contending this year and improving, but they look a lot worse. Do we think that there's a problem in Atlanta or is this just, you know, a slow start that they'll pick up on? I think uh, a play that really like helps this Atlanta Hawks team is we talk about, we talk about Trey Young, we talk about those superstars like John Collins, but like DeAndre Hunter last year when they were rolling the playoff in, in, in the first two uh, series, DeAndre Hunter was healthy, was playing great defense. DeAndre Hunter in the beginning of the year uh, was playing great until he got injured. He's out for eight weeks now. I believe DeAndre Hunter really runs this team on the defensive side and really helps them. And I feel like the struggle is just mainly due to injuries. And uh, Trey Young, you said with that new uh, uh, refing and stuff like that, I believe he's, he's scoring less. But I believe uh, Trey Young will get it back together. And if they can get healthy, uh, they could be a top five team in the East. Yeah, the Hawks, they just don't look like how they did uh, a few months ago back in the Eastern, back in the playoffs. Their defense is horrible, and they're allowing their opponents to shoot 70% at the rim, which is not good. And Trey Young is struggling, and that is because of the rule changes. He's shooting three fewer free throws a game, and he does have a habit of leaning back into his opponent and trying to draw a shooting foul. But honestly, the refs are just not having it anymore. Yeah, I love it. Aaron's bringing some stats to the podcast to, bra- to back up the points that we've been making all year, which is Trey Young and James Harden being affected by this new foul rule changes that the NBA is implementing. And, you know, it's a slow start for the Hawks, but I'm not going to panic. Do I think they're Eastern Conference Finals contenders? I'm not sure. I-, I was hoping that they would be clear contenders, you know, at this point in the season, but they're not there yet. You've mentioned some injuries. DeAndre Hunter, Leon, that's a great point as well. But I think it all comes down to Trey Young. When Trey Young's clicking like he was in the playoffs, this Hawks team is dangerous and they're a scary sight in the playoffs. But if Trey Young's not clicking, if he can't get that free throw uh, attempt number up, I think this Hawks team will stay where they are, which is you know on the borderline of the playoffs. I think currently they're on the outside looking in. But we'll have to wait and see. That'll do it for this week's NBA segment of the Eel Smith Sports Talk podcast. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back. This podcast was edited by Gabriel Agüero.